Almost Heaven, Primrose Village, Neon Project, Mike and Jay Deliver. Life is better, better with these two. History and ghost stuff mixed with humor too. Mike and Jay, take me home to the place I belong. Neon Project, Podcast Heaven, take me home, Mike and Jay. Coming to you from the Eon Project Studios, overlooking the vast, pristine acreage of Primrose Village. Greetings from this hidden gem of the Blackstone Valley. You're listening to Experts of Nothing with Mike and Jay. Hey, Mike. Hi, Jay. How's it going? Good. Did we have John Denver in the studio? No, that was his long-lost um, twin on his mother's side, Don Denver. Uh, yeah. He's still alive, and he's still making music today. Do you think John Denver was a handsome man? He wasn't handsome, but he was no. a musical uh, not, genius. Not in my handsome. Opinion. Why was he a musical genius? Well, he was just good. He was very talented. He could play the Dickens out of the guitar. He mm-hmm. could sing like an angel. Did he play the banjo? Do we know? Played this? the banjo. Uh, so let me ask you a question. Yeah, you're, you're a musician. Can you play, if you can play guitar? Can you play the banjo no. as well? It's completely different. Instrument. Completely different instrument. So, you, so like different like finger positions, different strings, different tunings, different fingerings. Mm. So you couldn't pick sort. up a cello like Yo-Yo Ma and start banging away on it. No. Oh. No, not really. Well, welcome to the Eon Project, where uh, we discuss all manner of things thereunto pertaining. Yes. Uh, and th- la- last week, I don't remember what we talked about, but... Uh, last week was a uh, unsolved uh, murder oh, case show. Yeah. You know what? If you if you read too many unsolved mysteries and watch them on television, mm. you start to get paranoid about things. You do get paranoid. Yeah. I'm paranoid anyways. So I'm going to tease the topic first of the, for the yeah, day. Yeah, please do. So today we're going to be talking about something interesting we haven't spoken about here yet on the Eon Project, and it's something uh, rooted, it's basically rooted in history and steeped in mystery. It's rooted and steeped like tea. Yes. And, and potatoes. And it's the topic of vampires. Ooh, vampires. Mm. That's very exciting. We're going to get into that here shortly. Mm-hmm. Well, before we do, let's give a quick shout out to our friends. Uh, well, you know, I actually did get a, a, a listener email uh, that came directly to my account, not, you did. not to yours. Okay. Uh, well, that's actually one of you. So it came to the guys at hermitlight.com. Yes. You can get hold, but I'm the only one that reads it. And it was a romantic solicitation. Oh. Um, but let me tell you, uh, to all the listeners out there, um, that uh, Jay and I are not romantically available at, no. the, at the moment. But if that is on your mind, let me point, point you to a couple of cool guys. Mm-hmm. That would be uh, Luke and Brent from the Black Lodge, yes. who are both single and ready to mingle. That's correct. Ready to get down. So check them out. You can you can find their their, their uh, show page on hermitlight.com also. However, if you want to be Legionnaires of the Eon Project, mm, Mike, and, uh, Mike and myself would be more than happy to send you a 10 by 12 glossy of Mike and me in a uh, gentle yet heterosexual embrace. In various stages of undress. So if you uh, want to see that, let us know. Yeah. The guys at hermitlight.com. That's right. So real quick, I'm gonna before we get into the topic, I want to apologize to Mike in advance. Oh, shoot. I had uh, several scoops of uh, seven-layer dip earlier today. <laughs> so How many? Is there actually seven there layers is, or is it just? Yeah. No, it was like beans. 
and salsa and cheese. You know, and, uh, aside from the yeah. aside from the the gas that I'm about to experience and the romantic solicitation that we received, I also did get a get some feedback, mm. and someone was unhappy. This is a long time listener. Yep, but someone was unhappy with how we jump around from topic to topic and we kind of make seg- segues and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but to me, that's kind of how we are in real life. Sure. So that's kind of how the show is going to be. So unfortunately, if you don't like it, that's 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 your opinion. Uh, some people like it, and we're going to continue to do it. Yes, and we have, a, uh, we have a special uh, tribute at the halfway point of the show as well, we which we'll talk today. about more later on. Is it Momo Golden? Not, no, no Momo. Oh, no bad. Momo. Well, do you want to you kick off the vampire? Yeah, sure. Discussion? So let's get into it. So vampires, what are vampires, would you say? Uh, well, actually, if you look through the historical records, there's yes. a whole bunch of different types of vampires, right? Exactly. So, but the, the, the one that most people think of is the, um, the undead... Uh, Bloodsucker. Exactly. You, exactly. I think. You. I think historically, and for the most part, and for as far as um, you know, pop culture is concerned, I think we all believe that Dracula is is what people think of when they think of vampires. That's uh, true. Initially, that's true. Because it has a romantic uh, vibe to it. Of course, uh, the non-romantic. I never understood romance. How do you get romance out of a guy that wants to butt your neck? Well, he was rich, and he had a lot of. There were a lot of sexual uh, undertones. Mm. But it makes for a better story than say what the origins of the vampire would be, which would be a non. Uh, romantic, s- swooning, deformed Mediterranean peasant <laughs> slobbering along and biting chunks out of your breasts. Wow. Uh, is how but they originally started. Is that right? The, the legend of it, yes. A stupid peasants. So every, every, every culture in history is steeped in vampire lore. Mm-hmm. Um, and going different parts of the world. In China, they're called the, the Sangshi. Yes. In Australia, they're called the Yaramayahu. Say that five times fast. Yaramayahu. In India, they're called the Az- Azarapa. So did you have it? How did it come out? All right. It was a one, one in a million shot, Doc. One in a million. In Brazil, they're called the Jeracaca. Jeracaca? Which is going to happen to me later when I get rid of this bean dip. Uh, Europe, there's many, they're known by many names. They're known as the Strix, the, the Sturgoy. The Sturgoy. The Frigolacas. I think he plays basketball for the uh, M- Milwaukee Bucks. And Revenant. You've heard that term I've before. Heard Revenant, yeah. I thought that was a ghost. Isn't a Revenant a ghost? Well, it's somebody that... Uh... I just thought of something. Oh, go ahead. Do you remember the 1980s movie called The Wraith? The Wraith? The Wraith. It was a, It was Charlie Sheen, and he was a from the dead... Uh, he came back... He got in a car accident, and he came back from the dead, and he was like... He would get in his Knight Rider-type car, and he would chase people down. And the only reason I mentioned it is because in the movie, somebody said, It's a Revenant, man! It ain't cool! You don't remember that? I, remember, I that remember the wraith. Check out the wraith. It's, it's terrible. So you've heard the term Nosferatu? Yes, I dated one once. Oh, you did? Yes. I mean, she was bald and had long Why teeth. Why do you assume it was a she? So Nosferatu is Romanian word and loosely translates into nose far out to... That's, that's ah, the translation. I see. Yeah. That's exciting. So do you want to talk a little bit about the uh, European origins of the, uh, of the vampire? Yes. So actually, well, as you say... Yeah. Um, they come from a lot of different, a lot of different places. But the one that most, the, the, the version of the vampire that most people are familiar with, as you say, the, the Dracula legend. Mm. Now, we all know. Well, we in the in this uh, area of discussion know, have, and have heard the term Vlad the Impaler. Yes, sort of Vlad. Vlad Tepish. Old Vladdy. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Vlad because Vlad the Impaler is where a lot of people get their their uh, myth about vampires from. Mm. So he was a. Uh, Wallachian warlord mm. back in the 1400s, which there's a uh, there's a pretty interesting history of him. I'm not going to read it because it you know we don't want to bore people. But uh, he he his dad Vlad II. He was Vlad III. Yep. Vlad II was inducted into a secret order of knights called the Order of the Dragon. 
Now, when Vlad the Third was born, he became a son of the dragon, mm. which in the Wallachian tongue translates as Dracula. Yes. That's where the name comes from. Dracula. A lot of people don't know that. Right. So it means son of the dragon. Now, now Order of the Dragon is cool. Order that of the Dragon cool. is cool. Sounds cool. We probably would have been a part of it or wanted to be part of it. Mm. Uh, you know, we, we, we've joined our share of, uh, of interesting organizations in the past. Yeah. Some of us more than others. Um, but anyway, so so Vlad the uh, Vlad the, the third was actually looked upon as a the savior of Christianity in in the in Europe because at the time the Ottomans were trying to push their way uh, and spread the Islamic religion right. into uh, Europe. Now Wallachia, where Vlad was from, was right on the border there, right mm. in the border area. So it it, it was uh, it was uh, uh, thrust upon War him. torn. Yes, it was thrust upon him to to serve as protector. So he had to use some. I guess some uh, non-textbook means to try to... He didn't abide by the Geneva Convention. No, no, he didn't. And again, there's a really interesting history of him that I read. I'm not going to get into it too much. But one of the things that he did do, and this was actually uh, documented, he, during one of the battles against the Ottomans, he captured around 20,000 Ottomans, Mm. uh, which he put his feet up on all of them. Yes, he was resting. He was resting his feet. That That was a furniture joke, if he didn't... What is a hassock? Isn't that like an ottoman too? Is like a piece of furniture you put your feet on? Uh, he was a goalie for the uh, for the Buffalo Sabres. Oh, he was a great goalie. Very good goalie. He wore the the the, the mask that was just like he, a cage. Nick, do you know his nickname? Uh, Dominic Hasek. Yeah, the Dominator. The Dominator. That's right. And he also wore the like the European style helmet with the cage he on did. it. That's what I just said. Yeah, but it, <laughs> it didn't. It wasn't like he didn't follow the trends. But anyway, but Vlad didn't wear a mask. Vlad, uh, a, a no, face he, shield. No, he didn't. But he wore one of those cool, like bejeweled headband things yes. that you see him in all these pictures. Anyway, so he captured these twenty thousand Ottomans, and he wanted to send a message to the other Ottomans that were coming to town. So what he did was he made a forest of impaled Ottoman prisoners. Mm. Now the impalement process, uh, if you're not familiar with it, it's pretty exciting and interesting. They, what they would do is they would take a, a, a uh, an un unlucky prisoner and they would insert a rounded blunt pole Mm -hmm. into the anus or vagina and push it through the body until it came out the mouth or the upper chest area around the shoulders and then they would lift you up and leave you there so basically you would be like on this pole thingy Mm. and it was blunted on purpose so it didn't it didn't puncture any uh, vital organs so you would sit there and you would it take you like sometimes hours sometimes even days to, to die a very horrible death. I heard that uh, depending on the rank of the person that was killed, they would be hold them higher on a pole, a taller uh, pole. Yes. So what he did was he made a forest of these impaled people, 20,000 of them. Some some estimates were up to 60 miles away from his cap- capital. Yes. So when they were coming up, the Ottomans, they would see their, the impaled prisoners. You could see the general miles away yeah. and be like, ooh, I don't want to go over there. And he's like, you know what? And, and actually, that's what they did. The invading Ottoman army said, you know what? Nope. Well, let's turn around and go home. And so they did. Wasn't there a uh, there was a, uh, a movie that came out a few years ago that told that portion of the Dracula story? Well, I think the it was Bram- called Dracula Untold. I, I haven't seen Dracula Untold. I think that's what it was called. I didn't see that, but they actually do touch upon it in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yes. Uh, they show it at the beginning, but very, very briefly. And he's fighting a battle, and yep. uh, yeah, and he has this cool red armor. Do you remember that movie? It is the cool red armor. He's the got dragon the cool armor. Dragon armor, and I'm like, man, that guy's badass. Yep. Anyway. Yeah, definitely. So that's why they, he ended up with the nickname Vlad the Impaler. Now, where does the vampire part come in? Here is where it comes in, and actually is probably misattributed. So Vlad's enemies obviously didn't like the fact that he was impaling people all over the place. So they started to you know create rumors about him. 
And one of the rumors that was floating about was that he would dine, meaning he would eat mm. his dinner uh, amongst the dying people on the, that were being impaled, and he would collect some of their blood and he would dip his bread into it oh. and eat it, which is where the whole vampire thing came into it. I see. So that's but that but as far as connections to, well, there was there, that and there was one incident where some Ottomans came for a peace treaty mm. meeting, uh, and they walked into his uh, Vlad's uh, throne room. You have to throw your tongue when you say yes. throne room. Yes. And uh, they did not remove their hats because they had those turban thingies on. Mm. And uh, supposedly, apparently they're not supposed to take those off for religious reasons. And uh, Vlad had his guys nail the hats onto them, oh. onto the, the turbans, onto their heads. So if you look at historically, like you had just mentioned, um, you know, the legend that he would dip his, his bread in the blood of his enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you, if you hearken back to the origins of the Catholic Church, and as we know, uh, you know, Vlad was fighting for Christendom, yep. was actually heralded as a hero. That's correct. Right? So he you still can, is in, in that part of the right. world. And you can make that connection, right, that that's that's could be a tradition, mm-hmm. uh, a, a kind of twist on the tradition of drinking the blood well, and eating the bread kind I, of thing. I didn't know if we were going to mention that later, but yeah, there's some clear connections to the, to the especially the Catholic faith with regard to the right. sacrament of communion, uh, which, you know, not to ruffle any feathers, but if you're a Catholic, you believe, and I think is that that's a Catholic... Uh, aspect right that's not all of christianity uh no but other other denominations do uh, okay so the, use the eucharist and, right, and the, so they, the wine but but stuff. specifically in catholicism yep. they there's a transubstantiation that takes place oh big word right where i don't know what that means when the priest uh says you know a certain amount of uh, certain prayers over the 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 wafers the communion wafers and right. the wine it, it literally supposedly literally turns those items into the body and blood of jesus christ correct and then they consume it so what do you call that? They're consuming blood, and it's supposed to be like. What is the purpose of that? Mm. I forgot because we went to Catholic school. But well, I tell you, the purpose for me was uh, it was a big moment in my life when I made my first communion. And I was able to drink the wine, yes, legally, yes, uh, and I would do it on Sundays, and it uh-huh. was pleasurable. What do you think they would do during COVID times? Oh. With the well, I'm sure that they don't do it any. Even when, you'd have individual little Dixie cups. Probably. Yes. Well, even when we were uh, started like teenagers, they stopped. They stopped having the shared cup. Like when we were kids, and I was an altar boy, and I was not violated. But uh, they would, you know, the priest would have wine in his cup, and he would serve it to people and yeah. during the during the Eucharist, the celebration of the Eucharist. And um, they would just wipe it and give it to the next dude. Right. And they would like, you know, rotate, They'd rotate the cup. Rotate and somehow it. that made the germs <laughs> so, go away. But then they rotated it 150 times. Yeah. So the you guy know, in front of you had had herpes simplex B. <laughs> On his lip, and then you're drinking the wine after. It was him. probably never a good idea. No, to do that, definitely not. Yeah. Um, so How'd we get into talking about that. So taking your 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 Vlad reference, right? Mm-hmm. And that, and if you fast forward quickly to the like we talked about the the Bram Stoker novel, yes, Dracula. Did you ever read that? By the way, great book, great it movie. It's a, I think the book is kind of boring, in my opinion. Well, I, I find it interesting because it's written as if it's like a, a journal, like a series of letters. Yes. So it makes it more more realistic. That's I feel correct. like. And in the movie, the Bram Stoker's Dracula, Gary Oldman plays. Um, it's Gary Oldman, right? Yes, he plays. He plays Dracula, but also unheralded is Keanu Reeves, who plays Jonathan Harker. He does. Uh, and the the best scene in the whole movie is when the three vampiresses oh yes uh, encounter and they violate him. They violate him in his bed, and is it's very sexual, exciting. Even if it weren't vampires, <laughs> even if, if especially if it weren't vampires. <laughs> But anyway, so that's where the modern day, uh, uh, you know, idea of the vampire and, and what we know about his the, the powers of the vampire mm-hmm. and. Um, so he made all that up. Like before that, there was no, um, 
there, there were no magical powers endowed upon the person upon the vampire for drinking blood, right? Um, well, you, well, they were, and, and that goes back to the, the middle the middle oh. ages and the, the the origins, the European origins of the vampire myth, mm-hmm. and it was believed that they were the undead essentially, um, and they were more like uh, grotesque beings mm-hmm. that would rise from the grave, and they would they would feast on the blood of the living in order to, to keep themselves going, to keep to perpetuate themselves. So they needed to do that. They needed the blood. So, but but where was the origin? Did they ever? You know, in your looking into it, did you ever get why? Like, what was the purpose of them being? Right. So, and how did one become one? Exactly. You know? So, you know, a lot of it, believe it or not, stems from uh, the period of time which they had very limited knowledge of medicine mm-hmm. and, and disease and disorder. Yep. Um, and science, they had very limited knowledge of that as well. So, obviously, there were certain diseases and disorders that um, if, they, if you just looked upon them on their surface, they could have been perceived as being something supernatural. Mm-hmm. Um, one of which would be something called porphyria, yeah. which is a, a blood disease, a blood disorder, essentially. And people still have that, right? It's, they it's do. It's rare, but they still get it. That's correct. That's correct. And there's actually a lot of a lot of the symptoms of porphyria, uh, sensitivity to sunlight, uh, fangs, My kids have basically. that. My teenage girls. They do? Yeah, they They're just stay in the bedroom. Sensitivity to light. They stay in their bedroom. It's like a cave and yeah. it smells weird. So apparently the gums recede, so it makes it look like you have fangs. Oh. Uh, Blood drinking, because apparently the urine of the person with porphyria is dark red. And, you know, the folklore surmised... Why would you drink the urine? No, no, no. It's, oh. They surmised that they were drinking blood <laughs> by the looks of the urine, basically. Oh, I see. An aversion to garlic? Why would there be an aversion to garlic? Well, the sulfur content of the garlic could lead to an attack of porphyria, I love it garlic. Or not. Do you like garlic? I like garlic and everything. You can uh, put garlic in everything. That's too much. No. It's too much. What's wrong with you? Reflections not seen in mirrors... How would that be a symptom of well, a disease? Well, I'm going to tell you. So in the in mythology, a vampire is not able to look in a mirror, as we know. Right. Right? Can't see its reflection. Well, the facial disfigurement caused by porphyria becomes worse with time, and poor oxygenation leads to the destruction of facial tissue and collapse of the facial structure, and people didn't really want to look at themselves in the mirror. So there's that Oh, that so they leap. just didn't want to. It was a leap. You know, you know what I'm saying? Now, like, obviously, back then when they couldn't explain things, mm. they leapt from one thing to another. Okay, I see. Um, and another one that's a little bit more out there is fear of the crucifix. Yes. And they're saying that this stems from, obviously, during the times of the Spanish uh, Inquisition, mm-hmm. opposed, supposedly some 600... And, "Quote unquote vampires were burned at the stake, mm-hmm. um, and some of the accused vampires obviously were, were innocent, and they would just suffer from porphyria and other diseases. So they became uh, they had an aversion to the church oh. and to the cross because well, they were being persecuted. The, yeah, when the when the inquisitors come to collect you and they're wearing crosses, you probably have some aversion. But you know, in the movies, when a vampire sees a cross, they go. They do. They hiss like a cat. That's correct. Something we didn't mention earlier. We should probably should have mentioned it at the beginning, but we can talk about it again later. Okay. This is going to be a two part episode. Oh yeah." Uh, on vampires. Today we're talking about the origins, the myths, mm-hmm. uh, the subculture of vampirism, things of that sort. And then next week we're going to, what are we going to talk about? Uh, we're going to talk about the top 10, our top 10 vampire movies. That's correct. Because vampires, especially recently, have become, well, it's kind of dying down again, but it goes in waves. Like you have a bunch of, now it's it was zombies for a while, then it, it was vampires before that. What's it now? What's the common theme in movies these days? I don't know. I don't really know either. There's no movies coming out. Nobody's going to the theater yet. I'd go to the theater. I'm not afraid. You shouldn't be. You're fr- are you afraid of psychopaths? Because you know what? I forgot to mention another way to, to spot a psychopath. Yeah, you mentioned the first one last week. What's yeah, this one. So, forgot, I forgot. Now we're, we're into the show, but I hope, I hope we don't piss anybody off. But basically, here's the deal. <laughs> if you, we, we talked about before, this is Mike's guide to spotting psychopaths. Anyone who drinks orange juice after noontime is a psychopath. 
Orange juice is a day beverage, or morning beverage, I should say. Should not be consumed by anyone after 12 o'clock. Actually, probably after 10 o'clock. If you're consuming orange juice at any other time, you're a psychopath. You know what's funny? You've changed your stance on this over the years. No, I don't think so. Because you and I used to battle over this. I always used to say it was a morning drink. It is a morning drink. And you would say, oh, no, you can drink it all throughout the day. I don't think I ever said that. So clearly you're a psychopath. No, I don't drink it during the other parts of the day. I saw somebody drinking an orange juice at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Well, I probably had vodka in it. That's okay. Oh. Well, that's a good point. Can you drink what can you drink screwdriver it's a screwdriver, right? That's yes. a vodka and orange juice. Yes. I can't drink those things, man. I could drink them. Really? I had vodka in uh cherry uh Kool-Aid recently. Cherry Kool-Aid? That was good. You're a big spender. It was a plastic uh pop off bottle <laughs> and some cherry Kool-Aid. Pop-off. So I'm I'm a high roller for sure. So anyway, let's talk a little bit more about the 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 middle age or the you know, they became more and more prevalent in the seventeenth, eighteenth, right, early nineteenth century. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the, uh, you know, the idea that, you know, people's loved ones were coming back from the dead. Yes. Uh, and another another affliction would be consumption. And we're going to talk a little bit more about yes, that after the break and some specific cases that that relates to. Well, before you go there, so I've, yep. I actually encountered a, a, a quick tidbit. And that would be a, a, an ancient, not ancient, but middle-aged Romanian way to find a vampire in a graveyard. You want to okay. hear it? Yep. Here's what you do. Uh, what you do is you go to a graveyard. Okay, and it has to be at noontime because I think probably because you're afraid that it comes out at night, so you don't want to be there anywhere near dusk. And you get a little boy. This doesn't sound good. No, a seven-year-old boy has to be seven, mm-hmm. and you get a white horse. Has to be a white horse in a graveyard at midday, and you put the boy on the horse, and you let it go into the graveyard. Okay, and you watch the the horse walk around, and if a horse stops over a grave, that's a vampire. So you got to dig it up and take care of business. Mm. What do you think of that? I think that's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder. I wonder if it was like like with your dog. Like you take your dog out there. If he pees, because my dog pees and poops everywhere. If he pees and poops on a grave, then that's a that's a vampire. Okay. You, you that's could. the sure sign of it. Yep. All right. So seventeenth, eighteenth, early nineteenth century. Yes. What a lot of times in, in different cultures and places around the world, what people would do is when uh, one of their loved ones perished, they would bury them, mm-hmm. and then after a short time, they would actually dig them up. And they would take the the remains and they would put them in what, what they call an ossuary, or like a bone box. Ossuary, where they would take the uh, the bones and they would put them in a, in a different a different uh, vessel. What for, for for the remainder Isn't of time? Is that what what they call it when there's salt water mixed with fresh water? It's an ossuary. No, that's uh, oh, that's an estuary. Is that an estuary? I, I think so. So oh. anyway, they would take this. Uh, a lot of times they would open the the the, the coffin and they would see there loved one in, in a state of uncanny preservation ah. for some reason, and they couldn't understand why, and of course, they immediately went to the supernatural. Of course. Um, and, and because of this, uh, you know, they, they, would, they would see, like, blood rushing, you know, running from its mouth or in uh. its mouth, fresh blood. Why would there be fresh blood in somebody's mouth? Well, because they, they never, they didn't embalm these people, and if you buried them in the oh, wintertime okay. or put them outside in the cold, right. they're going to stay preserved for, for quite some time. I see, I see. And, and so, of course, what they started doing, practice... Uh, they would start driving stakes through the chest like regions of these, of these bodies. Mm-hmm. And because they were filled with gases from the de- decomposition process, they would basically explode and they would make noise and be like, ah. and make strange hissing noises. You know, this so reminds, people thought they were alive. This reminds me of an interesting tidbit story. We had a, a teacher once in middle school by the name of Mr. Roy. And Mr. Roy uh, regaled uh, the middle school with a, uh, a story one day. Apparently he was... Working, I think he was an intern or something at a at a at a morgue, and he had just started, and 
he was he had to move a body from the from the morgue to another area. A body? A body. So the the dead body. So he puts the dead body on the elevator and he gets in the elevator, he presses the button and it starts to go up. Now, what he didn't know, which he was telling us, which we didn't know either, is as to your point, gases and things of that sort build up in dead bodies. Yes. And sometimes the muscles can contract. Yes. Well, the dead body on the gurney sat up in the in the elevator and started going. And he about crapped himself and ran. <laughs> Mr. Roy was a very religious man, he, but I, I he think was. he said some swears that day. <laughs> yeah. So let's fast forward to uh, about 20, 30 years ago. We're going to uh, Lesbos. Oh, I want to go there. That's in Greece. That sounds like a great place to visit. It's, uh, it's an island in Greece. It's mm. known as Vampire Island. Oh. Yes. So apparently uh, 18th, 17th, 18th century Europe. So anyway, they were there. Some archaeologists were there digging around a grave site around an old city. Mm. And uh, they found many a, a, a grave and a dead body. And nothing seemed out of the ordinary mm-hmm. until they found this one grave that happened to be like carved into the, into the foundation wall of a building. Mm-hmm. And they found wooden planks. And on top of the wooden planks were a bunch of stones that were seemed as though to be holding the lid down. Ah. Excuse me. So when they opened the lid, they saw a uh, the remains of a person, a male, a middle aged male. Well, let me ask you this. Wait yes. a minute before you keep going. Yes. Why, why would you take the rocks? If I if I stumble upon something like that, I'm not removing the rocks. I'm probably going to add more rocks because I don't want anything <laughs> well, coming out. They're of archaeologists. It. They're trying to find. Yeah, out what's but I don't want to know what's in that box. Somebody somebody sealed that for a reason. <laughs> well, wait till you hear this part. So they open it and they, they see the uh, the remains of this person, and he had three stakes in him. Ooh. He had one in his throat. Ow. One in his like hip area, and one down in his ankles. That was oh, I thought you were gonna say groin. That would be worse. Uh, right, right around the groin area. Ouch! And it was straight through his body, through the bottom of the coffin, and into the ground below. It takes some work to drive a stake through a person yes. and into the ground. So clearly, these people thought that this guy was going to rise from the dead. They did. So they felt like they were going to pin him to the ground. Ouch! It must have worked because he was still there. He was still there. He never it came back until the idiots take the rocks off the top. Now he's wandering around now Lesbos. No, nobody knows what's attacking Lesbos. Is that where? I'm not even going to get into that. <laughs> is that the is that a in politically incorrect term? If it is, I apologize. It's, it's not a. It's a geographic place. It's the not, island. Yeah, it's not a. You're not describing anybody. Well, I think you're just worried. I am worried. This is the kind of culture we live in. You these could just days. say the wrong thing, and then all of a sudden you get people like coming after you. You could say Honey Nut Cheerios, and you'd be in trouble. Well, yeah, because you're you're discriminating against um, the regular ones? regular Cheerios. Oh. Like, they're not good enough for you. <gasps> Toasted oats aren't good enough for you. <laughs> You gotta have more. So anyway, what do you got for me? Well, anyway, so where are we at in the show? We're we're in the Middle Ages right now. We're trying to do. Oh. Well, I wanted to, to briefly talk about a an actual a person in history uh, that could have been considered a vampire. Okay, do we have time for that? At this, yeah, go for at it. This moment, and that would be the Countess Elizabeth Jabathory. Whoa. That sounds like a very proper name. I'm, she sounds sexy. Actually. I'm a countess. Well, actually, yes, she was regaled uh, nation uh, nation worldwide for her beauty. She was known for oh. her beauty. So she was born actually. Well, going back to, to Vlad, I mentioned Vlad the Impaler earlier. Yes, everybody associates Vlad the Impaler with Transylvania, right? And a trans Vlad the Impaler never set foot in Transylvania. Oh, he was from Wallachia. And believe it or not, to this day, you can get Dracula tours of Bran Castle in Transylvania. He mm. never went there. So, it's so what are the tours of? It's completely made up. That's what I'm saying. It's a tourist trap. Tourist trap. It's like the largest ball of yarn. But you know who was born in Transylvania? Elizabeth the Bathory. Well, that makes sense. Mm. 1560. She was born into a, a royal Transylvanian family. When she was about 11 or 12, she was betrothed to a Frenic Nazari. What does that mean, betrothed? You're saying a lot of big words today. Betrothed. Like, he, she had to marry him. Oh, she I was 11 years when, old. I thought it's when you died and somebody gives you something. 
No, that's be- bequeathed. Oh. You're wrong. Okay. Get a dictionary. What about bedazzled? Anyway, she was she was betrothed to Frenik Nazadery, who was from a Hungarian family, uh, an aristocratic family. But a year later, which would make her 12, mm. 11, 12 or 13, she had a baby by a lower order lover, which Nazadery, her, uh, her, her betrothed husband, was really upset. Yeah. So he had the guy castrated and torn to pieces by dogs. That as happened... He, uh, as he should have. Well, yeah. Didn't uh, Ramsey Bolton did that in the uh, Game of Thrones? Do you like Ramsey Bolton? I hated Ramsey Bolton. Reek? He must be a good a- actor. He turned Reek into a... Well, he turned. He named him he Reek. He named him Reek, yeah. What do you got in your mouth over there? Ice cut pieces. It's weird. Anyway, so Elizabeth the Bathory, she, she had all kinds of medical issues as a kid, like epileptic seizures and whatnot. And it was believed at the time that folk cures could cure stuff like that and magical crap. So one of the one of the supposed cures for epilepsy was they would rub the blood of a non-epilepsy having person on your lips. Well, that makes sense. So that maybe that's where that started. She was also said to have striking beauty and employed only the most fair of maidens in the land to work at her palace. Mm. I'd do that too. If I was running a palace, I would only employ the most fair maidens. I you, they, you were not going to hire ugly people. Why would you do that? I wouldn't. You have the power to do that. Sure. So Elizabeth's husband was a warrior and an adventurer, so he's away a lot of times. So she was the boss of the manor. But after a while, rumors began to spread about the Countess. An inordinate amount of young girls were found to be missing uh, that were going to the palace. So peasant rumors, you know the peasant rumor mill. Ah, we're talking about peasants again. The, I love peasants. I'm a peasant. The peasant underground began to spread rumors that the Countess was doing stuff she shouldn't be doing. So these rumors reached the Pope, of all people. Mm. So the Pope sent some investigators to investigate. Because that's what investigators do. They investigate things. Now, there's no historical account of what happened with the investigation. But the investigators found... Uh, that supposedly, this is, you know, rumors, that the, that the Countess was torturing young girls, burning them with hot tongs, uh, caging them outside to freeze and biting them, biting their breasticle areas Whoa. and uh, cutting them and stuff. And then, this is where this comes in, she would drink their blood in an effort to maintain her legendary beauty. Oh. There were also rumors that she would she would bathe in their blood, like take, take blood baths. That reminds me of one of the most disturbing yet uh, uh, stimulating scenes in any movie I've ever seen. Do you know what I'm referring to? Is that Hostel 2? Hostel, was it 2 or 1? Yeah, I don't know. It was one of the two. Hostel movies. It was 2. They recreated they that. They recreated that scene. And Why it was, was it enticing? It was gross. It, was, <laughs> it, was, it just made you feel weird. Yeah, so what you're referring to, if you haven't seen it, Hostel, first of all, I can't watch those movies. They're very disgusting and gross, but I did watch them when they first came out. And there is one scene where, if you're not familiar with the Hostel brand, basically they're... Um, you pay, if you pay a lot of money, this is in, in Eastern Europe, you go over there, you pay a lot of money, and then you can kill somebody. Uh, they, they they kidnap people and you can kill them. Well, one of the ladies has a bath, like a she gets in a bath and there's candles all around, and then somebody is uh, this kidnapped girl is suspended over yes, the bath. Yes. And she like pre- continues to slice her and dice her with a sword. Yeah, like a scythe. A scythe. Like, a yeah. scythe. And, and she's naked. She's naked. The yes. girl's naked. There's a bunch of naked nakedness. There's blood pouring everywhere. Blood all over. And that's where that comes from. I heard that was real. That that scene was real. No, it's not real. Actually, oh. that was Heather. Uh, I can't remember her last name. The actress that, that was the kidnapped girl. She was in some, some shows before. Hmm. Anyway, where was I going? Elizabeth. Oh, Elizabeth. so Elizabeth Bathory. So, so the Pope's investigators found out she was doing those things, so they arrested her. And guess what they did to her? They probably did some horrendous things to her. They didn't because of her highborn position. Oh. They, they, they had the, uh, she was found guilty at trial. Yep. And what they did was they walled her up in her own chamber so, to die slowly. C- couldn't get in? Couldn't get out? Nope. And there was no Uber, Uber Eats. There was no uh, Grubhub. And she had to stand there with nothing to eat, and she died. What'd she poop and pee in? 
She had to find a, a pee bucket. Oh. Into, and a poop. Let me ask you this. Would you have a pee bucket and a poop bucket, or would you just combine them all together into one gross bucket? No, no, no. One one pot. Chamber just one, pot. Just one bucket, right? Just one bucket. Yeah, but then it's going to get filled quick if you can't oh get God, out of there. Can I mention something that happened to me this very day? Your your chamber pot broke? No. Oh. So the wife and I uh, were out on uh, on errands this morning, and this very this is a hundred percent true story. And we we we're looking at sheds because we don't have a shed. Mm. We we want a shed to be able to put our farm implements in, uh, and sex toys and things of that sort. Yeah, of course. Away from the house, of course. And we're looking. You know those those sheds that they have in the the home improvement store parking lots. Yeah, yeah, the pre made ones. Yeah, yeah pre made ones. So we're looking at those, and there's nobody around. It's early on sun, the Sunday. It's a Sunday. Early on Sunday morning. Early on Sunday morning. And we opened one because it looked like a cool And it was shed. a bum in it. No. Oh. There was a pile of human feces oh. in the corner. How do you know it was human? <laughs> because there was a there was a browned t-shirt that was next <laughs> next to it. So a brown bear wouldn't do that. Clearly, <laughs> a human being went into this empty shed. Somebody was in a panic mode. <laughs> They had nowhere to go. They, they couldn't make it in the store. That's right. You're a forensic investigator. You follow the clues. <laughs> they took off their shirt. You call a Lowe's guy over. You're like, hey, I'll take this one right here, buddy. This one, it's got a load of poop in it. Anyway. That, wow. I don't know why I thought of that. It's, it's, yeah. It's 100% That was a good story. story. I like that. Yeah. All right. Is that it for her? Yeah. That's a, well, yeah. So she died well, no, in, the, reason, in the, so, uh, again, the chamber? Yes. And so the the legend grew that she was drinking blood to, ma- to maintain her, her beauty. But clearly she didn't have eternal life. Well, no, because she died in her room. Correct. Yeah. All right. That's it. That's Countess de Bathory. All right. So that, that's the first half of the program. We're going to get into some more interesting cases um, after the, the quick break. And I know a lot of people, some people like the breaks, break time. Some people don't. I, you know, it gives Mike and I a little bit of a breather. Um, it, it allows us to bring in some, um, you know, to display our knowledge on things, mm-hmm. to show how creative and how worldly we are, men of culture, if you men will. Men culture. However, today we have a special treat, a special tribute. Uh-oh. So as we know uh, recently, uh, the the great actor, thespian, mm. Sir Sean Connery recently passed away. He did, unfortunately. And, he, you know, of course, he was out of the public uh, limelight, the public eye for quite some time. He had retired. He had retired. He, would, yeah. he was old and crusty. He was yeah. older than every... How old was he yeah, when he, he passed He was in the late away. 80s, I think. Yeah, he was very I old. Think, I think so. Still sexy, though. Still sexy. I don't even remember the last movie he made, but it was quite some time ago. Yeah. But anyway, he passed away. However... Through our intrepid research, we've did some, done some digging, mm-hmm. and we found a previous unreleased audio clip mm. of uh, Sir Sean Connery Wow! Um, in a rare bookstore. We're world exclusive. And we're going to play that for you now. Here we go. So enjoy. Good afternoon, sir. Welcome to the weather-binding rare book emporium where our shelves are many and our volumes plentiful. How may I assist you today? Good afternoon, my good man, and thank you for that eloquent and too long of a welcome. I wonder if you point me towards the good stuff. To what you refer, sir? You know exactly what I mean, you Montebank. Why'd you think I'd bring myself in here? That I don't know, sir. May I point you in the direction of something specific? Indeed you may, you filthy poltroon. Where'd you keep the chitty books? Sir? Your meat muffin mags, you dirty birdie. I mean a shit in peruse your wares. Sir, this is a rare bookstore. I'm not sure why you'd believe we'd carry such a thing. Look here, you flightless ostrich barbarian. I've come for the booby books, and you better get with the program or I'll be hanging drywall from your mother's flagstones. I'm not at all sure what that means, sir. 
but you persist in insulting me, I will have to ask you to leave. Do you know who I am, you filthy peasant? I could make you go down faster than a fat girl during Fleet Week. I apologize, sir, but you do not appear to be familiar to me. Listen here, you don't. Kindly point me in the direction of your meat junk section before I lose my temper. If you are referring to pornographic materials, sir, we do not, nor shall we ever house such filth within these walls. Now, if that is all, I shall have to bid you good day. I see. Perhaps I have made a mistake and embarrassed myself as you as well. For that, I apologize. Apology accepted, and good day. But before I go, where might I find the dildo section? Arshmasters, butt plugs, bondage gear, gimp masks. Welcome back to the Eon Project. Boy, that was great. Mike and Jay. Hello. That was an interesting, um, you know, I, I heard Sean was a, quite a sexual dynamo yeah. in his day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, going back to uh, his days on James Bond, in James Bond, as the character James Bond. It's James Bond. Who was a very, uh, had, his, had his way with the ladies. James Bond was kind of a date rapist. <clears throat> like, was, he would just grab girls and kiss them, and they'd be like, oh, no! My God. Every, and he would uh, like, he'd be like, yes. Yes. And then you would just do it anyway because he was James Bond. So there was the uh, the interim James Bond, which was George Lazenby, mm-hmm. who made one film. He came after Sean Connery. <laughs> Did you hear a funny story about that? He J- George Lazenby made one of those films. Yes. I forget which one it was, but it was... On Her Majesty's Secret yes, Service. Yes, thank you. And it was a hit. It was a great movie. Yes, it was a hit. And they said, George, you're the next, you know, you're the next James Bond. You have a, a film franchise ahead of you. And what did he do? He went on a year-long vacation mm-hmm. out of the limelight. He just took off. Yeah. And he said, you know what? I'm going to get to it when I get back. And by the time he got back, no one knew who the hell George Lazenby was. He was a little bit of an eccentric. Yeah. Um, he's still alive, too, actually. Is he really? Yeah. I didn't he know is. That. But that one... Uh, Honestly, like I'd, I'd been a James Bond fan my whole life. I've mm-hmm. seen all the movies, mm-hmm. and I think for some reason I avoided that one because there was a stigma attached to it. Because it wasn't that, Sean that Connery. It wasn't, it wasn't Sean Connery. Supposedly it wasn't very good. Uh-huh. I loved it. Really? I I've loved never it. seen it. Action scenes were great. Talk about a sexual animal in that movie. <laughs> and they weren't even like, you know how like a lot of times it was like kind of under the radar, yeah. uh, uh, subdued, mm-hmm. but you understood what was going on. This yes. one, it was very overt. Really? What was happening and the jokes and you everything know, like that. I, I'm, I'm not, you're a bigger James Bond fan than me, but I think my favorite James Bond was Daniel is Daniel Craig. I feel like Daniel Craig is a is a good actor, and he portrays the role very well. Because you know, in the books, which I've never read, but mm. from what I understand, the books, he's a military man first. He was yes. he was like a SAS guy or something. He was like in the that. Navy. He was a Navy commander. Okay, and very very like uh, brutal at times, mm-hmm. and that's kind of how Daniel Craig is. And he's very handsome. I enjoy the, looking at Daniel Craig, mm. and I won't lie. Okay, he's a good looking man. Where were we? Vampires. Uh, we talked about yeah. We're talking about vampires today. Let's get back into some vampires. Let's get into some more. Uh, let's let's jump to America. Now that we're uncomfortable, let's go to America. Let's go to talked about two uh, prominent vampire cases here in the United States. Okay, and actually in our own back door, and uh, in, in this house, uh, not in this house, oh. but in in the uh, in in Rhode Island. One of them in Exeter. Actually, oh. I think they both both might have been in that particular area. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's talk about uh, first. We're going to talk about Sarah 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 Tillinghast. That's a weird name. Have you heard of her? No. She was 19. She was quite comely. She was comely. She was a handsome woman. She was quiet, reserved. She kept to herself a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, when she wasn't in the fields working or doing her housework, she preferred to read her mother's books, kept busy with stitch work, you know, things that they did in the uh, in, in seventeen late 1700s New England. Embroidery. 
So after uh, apparently after the 1799 harvest season, oh, big season, Sarah be, uh, began to stay in her room for long periods of time, coming down, uh, you know, only for the meals, kind of like your teenage daughter. Yes, yes. And it was soon apparent that Sarah was gravely ill. Oh. And uh, it wasn't for too long, and she was diagnosed with consumption, and within a few weeks she had perished. And as we talked Who earlier, perished her. Consumption was one of those diseases that they thought was well, it was super contagious, obviously. Yes. It, yes. But it was attributed to, or they thought that it was part of the, the vampire plague. Isn't that tuberculosis? Isn't that it the is. same thing? It is tuberculosis. And tuberculosis is, extre- like you said, extremely uh, contagious. Exactly. Mm. So apparently a, a good number of her family died from this. Um, her father, Stuckley is his, was his name. Oh, that's Stuckley guy. Stuckley Tillinghast. He uh, sounds like a jerk. Was the only oh one living. Oh my God, it's Stuckley Tillinghast. Get out of the way. So... At one point, one by one, they began digging up the graves and opening the coffins of his deceased family members. Sounds like fun. The bodies, some were in the ground for months, were in a state of decay. However, by late afternoon one day, they finally came to the grave of the first child to fall ill, Sarah. They opened it, uh, opened the coffin, and uh, you know, obviously, Stuckley seeing his dead daughter there, had to, he had to kind of hold back his tears. She'd been dead for about six months. Uh, she lay there as if she was just resting. Her color was flushed. Her, her glassy eyes were open in a dead stare. Ew. So imagine opening the grave no. of your dead child and seeing this. I wouldn't want to open the grave anyway. So apparently Jeremiah, who was the uh, the pastor. Stuckley was uh, hardcore. Told him, hey, listen, you got to ace Mr. Stuckley. <laughs> you got you to gotta drive a stake, a knife through her heart. Uh-huh. Uh, so he actually cut her heart out of her chest. Wow. Which was which was a lot of the times what they thought was the way to do this, right? Cut the heart out. Molaram would have fit right in there. Poured oil onto it. Lit it ascend, asunder Ooh. and burned, burned her heart to ashes. Ouch. And uh, after that day, apparently, uh, nobody saw her again. Did she scream when she cut the heart out? Nope, when he they, cut the heart they out? They didn't cut the heart out. However, if you fast forward about 100 years later, mm-hmm. there was another one, uh, another local uh, female lady here that was attributed uh, to be a vampire. Mm-hmm. And that was a, a, someone named Mercy Brown. Mercy Brown, very famous in the Rhode Island area. That's exactly that's exactly. That's exactly. That's exactly correct. Well, mostly Brown. Mm-hmm. So that occurred in Exeter, Rhode Island. That was in 1892. So we're almost in the in the into the 20th century. Almost into still, the, yes, still dealing with this. Yes, exactly, exactly. And they obviously this is one of the better cases of the exhumation of a corpse in order to perform rituals to to banish the undead mm-hmm. uh, manifestation of of something. And actually, there was something called the New England Vampire Panic, oh. which was occurring around this time. And uh, a lot of people were caught up in this uh, fervor. Much like the New England uh, toilet paper panic of 2020. That's correct. So as is per usual back in the day with with tuberculosis, a lot of the the family members were struck down by this plague that was was taking them over. And, uh, you know, they were in an attempt to remediate that. They dug up old Mercy. Oh. And in this case, they actually uh, took her heart out of her chest. Nice. Same thing. They lit it on fire. I think her heart and her liver. They made like a, you know, into that. They took the ashes and they fed it to the young son, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it sounds ridiculous. It does sound ridiculous. But if you think about it, it's really a, a, a primitive way of trying to inoculate somebody. Oh, I see what you're from doing. a particular disease, right? But yeah. they looked at it from more from a uh, well, inoculation supernatural per- perspective. Time. Yeah. Well, it has been. It has been. Yeah. Um, but it didn't work. He died. The Speaking young- of inoculations, yes. it was a. Uh, there was a recent, you know, we talk about the uh, the, the uh, COVID virus and all this stuff. So there was some uh, Twitter, especially social media crap about how um, George Washington saved the Continental Army by inoculating it against smallpox and the British didn't. And actually that has some truth to it. George Washington did inoculate mm. most most members of the Continental Army um, 
and the British weren't really into that. But it, it's it's difficult to say what kind of impact that had on the on the result of the revolution. Wasn't George Washington a vampire hunter? Uh, that was Abraham. Oh, Lincoln. that was Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, uh, George Washington didn't do anything. That's right. of the sort. What do you know about Abraham Lincoln and his uh, hunting the vampire? Anything? No, I have not watched the movie, so I don't know anything about him in, in that regard. Mm. But I did. Are you done with your Mercy yes, Brown? Yes. And, so I wanted to talk. You know, we're, we're talking about vampires. We're talking about how the history of them, and then some of the real, some of the real, real world cases. Um, some of the stuff that I came across, I wanted to briefly discuss with regard to modern day people who are into this vampirism stuff. And there's a whole subculture of people yes. who are into vampirism, who think that it is a, a way to, whether it's obtain immortality or some gain some sort of magical powers and yep. stuff like that. So they, they will actually go around and... Most of it, from what I've seen, is um, consensual. They'll find people who will let you uh, drink their blood. Like, they'll cut themselves and let you drink it. Um, but there, are some, there have been some people who were uh, not as willing to be consensual. Right. And uh, I wanted to briefly discuss a true crime case that revolved vampirism. Well, before we do that, can we talk a little bit about the subculture? Sure, let's do that. So, as, as Mike stated, they some of them, I, I think a lot of them, maybe even believe that they are true vampires. Who yes. knows? Yes, they do. Uh, but they do get together in these groups. They dress up like Dracula, essentially. Mm-hmm. They wear the dark clothes. They get the uh, the black fingernails. Mm-hmm. They wear the like the contact lenses. And they, uh-huh. they don't come out during the day. They only come out at night. So it's like they're, they're, they're living the... They're living the vampire uh, lifestyle. lore lifestyle. Right. And as Mike stated, they get together with willing participants. Right. And they will cut each other. Yeah. And they will suck the blood out of one another in mm-hmm. different areas and mm-hmm. orifices and things of that sort. Oh. And they live like this. I wouldn't drink the butt blood. So I guess there's something for everyone out there. Depending on what your what I your, guess you uh, thing consider is. is it sexual though, or is it more of a I think there's a sexual lifestyle. component. I don't I don't know if I don't know if they're having uh, vampire orgies or not. Probably. Maybe maybe they are. You know you might as well. Uh, a lot of these a lot of these groups and stuff like that they're almost like cults, and it's usually surrounding a charismatic leader of sorts, and that kind of yes. dovetails directly into what I wanted to discuss, and that is the uh, Have you heard of the West Memphis Three case? Yes. So if, for those, I'm not going to get into the whole case because that you know we could do multiple shows on the West Memphis Three, but essentially, in, in a nutshell, uh, three young boys were murdered, and I believe it was 1993 in uh, a, a place in um, Ar- Arkansas. Because Arkansas, West Memphis, West Memphis, Arkansas. Yeah, was it Arkansas? Not yeah, Tennessee. It was not Tennessee. Okay. I believe it was Arkansas. But gotcha. anyway, gotcha. it was in a small town. Three young boys were murdered, and they were murdered in such a way um, where it, there appeared to be some occult overtones and right. some. Some uh, some mysterious magical crap, and if you want to see about this is this story has become famous due to to three documentaries actually four documentaries called Paradise Lost. Mm. They, they started in 1993, and there's been a couple of subsequent ones. And the whole purpose of the documentaries is to sh- show what happened. The West Memphis Three refers to three people who are arrested for the crimes. Now there's a lot of com- there's a lot of back and forth as to whether the three were guilty. Uh, there were three. Um, kind of gothic kids who were into heavy metal, Metallica, and Megadeth, and things of that sort, in the early 90s, and it was in the South, so a lot of people automatically thought they were bad, because they listened to heavy metal music and everything, uh, and so they were subsequently arrested, and they actually were convicted and spent almost, I think, almost 20 years in jail. Yes. They're all out of jail now, and the point of me telling you this story is not to uh, get into the case, but the ringleader was a charismatic guy by the name of Damien Eccles. Mm. Now, Damien Eccles, around the time of the murders, 1993, was supposedly into vampirism. And he would uh, talk about 
drinking people's blood. He was committed to a psychiatric ward a couple of times. Yep. And while he was in the psychiatric ward, this isn't this isn't in those documentaries because the the point of the documentaries is you know how when you watch a documentary you can tell where they're going. Yes. And they kind of craft it to make it appear. They did that with these things, and they want the kids to seem innocent. Right. So they left out a lot of this stuff. But while this guy, Damien Eccles, was, was being incarcerated or excuse me, committed to a, a mental health facility, he would cut other patients and drink their blood. And one guy was commit, trying to commit suicide by slicing his wrists, and Damien Eccles ran over there and started drinking his blood and smeared the blood all over his face oh. and said he was a vampire. So that... And there was some, there was some, there was no blood apparently found at the crime scene hmm. where these three little boys were killed. So there were some people who think that he was into vampirism, and that may have played a part. So if you're interested in that, there's an awful lot of stuff on the web for the West Memphis Three. Most of it is geared towards showing the kids were innocent, but there's there's this growing sentiment that they may have been guilty actually. So let me ask you this: if somebody and I'm being serious here. Mm-hmm. If somebody, so obviously we know that supernatural vampires are right. something of myth and legend. If somebody identifies as a vampire and lives the vampire lifestyle and uh-huh. sucks human blood, yes, could you call them a vampire? Could you say they're a true vampire? Well, no, because I, I feel like the vampire, in order to be considered that, you have to have the you have to have the characteristics, the characteristics which would be being undead and mm. being able to to maintain immortality, right? Mm. Just sucking somebody's blood doesn't make you a vampire. It makes you a weirdo. I gotcha. Mm. Okay. You know, you mentioned the West Memphis Three, and it reminded me of, uh, of a similar case by the, a gentleman by the name of uh, Ricky Casso. Oh. And Ricky Casso was known as the Acid King. The Acid King. Yeah, and he lived kind of around the area of, uh, well, he lived in New, uh, New York around the early 80s. Okay. And there was a sensational killing that happened then where he... Basically, kind of did the same thing. Mm-hmm. He was it was it was claimed to be a a, uh, a cult killing. We mm-hmm. killed a young man mm-hmm. named Gary Lowers, I believe his name was. Okay, but uh, so there's a tie. Uh, one of my friends going back years ago was from New York, and he was around that area at mm-hmm. the time and mm-hmm. remembers this sensational killing. And because it happened shortly after the Amityville case, only about ten years or so mm. after that. Um, and it had a uh, had a cult had occult undertones as well, as far as that that goes. But he ended up killing himself. He hung himself. Oh, um, but I don't think he identified as a vampire. Maybe he did. I'll have to look a little bit deeper. There's a lot of true, into the story. There's a lot of true crime cases like that where there's some element of vampirism involved, or at least at least supposed vampirism. Um, and it's pretty interesting to see that that again, they're it's usually based on that they're going to get some they're going to get some sort of uh, benefit from drinking the blood. It's not because they. You know they like the taste. Maybe they like the taste of it. I don't know. You ever tasted your own blood? Yeah. I have. You get punched in the well, face. Well, you get the bloody noses. <laughs> you get punched in the face real hard, and then you, you can know. taste the blood in your mouth. It you get sucks. A, you get an open wound on your head. Sure. Um, from a severe beating. Who hasn't had one? And of the those? blood leaks into your mouth. I mean, it happens yeah. to me quite frequently. This is exciting. Actually. So if you drink your own blood, are you a vampire? It has to be somebody else's. No, no, that's fine. I wonder what kind of diseases you can get from drinking other people's blood. Well, whatever they have. Well, yeah, but can you, through the process of going down into your your stomach and your gastrointestinal system, can you? I guess you would absorb it. I think depending dependent upon the, uh, you know, the characteristics of the disease mm-hmm. uh, and the amount consumed, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm sure. But then again, a lot of bloodborne pathogens can be absorbed through the skin. So even just touching yes. or getting it in your mouth, mm-hmm. not even consuming it all the way, right. you could you could uh, potentially catch something from it. It, yeah, I, I wonder, and then I wonder if that's how the zombie apocalypse is gonna is gonna start. People drinking each other's blood, mm. and then you have, you know, there's always some sort of jump from one thing to the next. And COVID probably started as some 
regular disease and then morphed somehow, whether it was man-made or, or, or naturally occurring, and somehow made it into the human population. Sure. So yeah, I mean, how that happens. Yeah, that's the thing about Mother Nature and humankind, as it were. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we become smarter and we become more uh, adept at, uh, you know, fighting these things. Mm-hmm. However, it is, you know, they mutate. Right. And you could have a mutating zombie slash vampire uh, disorder that uh, comes out yeah. at some point. Well, it starts taking over the human population. Can you actually, imagine of a zombie vampire? Well, no, and it's actually this, this. We talked at the beginning of the program. Our friends that from the Black Lodge. Yes. If you listen to their last episode, they talk about, um, you know, in the event of a zombie apocalypse and bugging out, and they talk about preparation. It's actually a really interesting show. Check out their their latest. Show. I think it's episode six. Great show. Great show. Uh, but anyway, one of the things that they talked about, which I found fascinating, was. What weapon would you choose if there was a vom- there was zombie apocalypse going on? It's, mm. it's breaking out. Which weapon would you like to have? What type of weapon would you like to have? I think you have to have. I mean, you only pick one because I think you, you can need only- to have. You need to have a couple. Nope. You can- okay, so you have a primary weapon and a secondary. What would would you pick? Well, I think, I think obviously you'd like to have a firearm, but firearms have limitations. Yeah, because sure they you can do. Run out of ammo. You run out of break. ammo, right? Um, so I think your most effective and long term weapon would be something that you could. Uh, craft from something you find in the field, mm-hmm. you know, a stick. Like a bla- would you like a like a bladed weapon or a blunt? Well, how about a, like a, a like a, a a staff of sorts with a sharpened mm. stick uh, uh, stone embedded into the end of it? Okay, kind of like, like a tomahawk, a spear. like a like a like a you know a fixed or or a <laughs> what do they call that? Uh, what do they call that weapon? I don't know. Medieval weapon, like a mace? Yeah, kind of like that. Like kind of a- like that, but a little bit longer, maybe not as unwieldy. Okay. Well, you again to your point. You you know everybody thinks, oh, I want to get a gun. Great, but then you're gonna run out of ammo at some point. Like yeah. you can only kill so many things uh, with with your firearm, and then it becomes basically a club. That's right. So you got to find something else to use. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, they they have a pretty in depth discussion. Check out from the Black Lodge. It was a good show. They had a real Renaissance man on there. Um, yeah. They had a special guest named Miles. Miles was great, and he's really uh, really like a warrior poet. Mm. Warrior monk. Smarts. Poet. And uh, worldly. All yeah. kinds of things. Impressive young man. Imp- very impressive. Bright future ahead of him. Sure. So, so uh, check them out for that. So next week we're going to, or the next episode, I yeah. should say, we're going to. Uh, this is going to be part two of the vampire episode. Yep. We're going to talk a little bit about vampire in pop culture, vampires in pop culture. Mm-hmm. Talk about some movies. Talk about the different how in pop culture they've evolved. The vampires have changed over the course of time mm-hmm. into you know different forms and variations and things of that sort. And we're going to give you a top ten. List our top ten list. Mike will give you five. I'll give you five of yep. our favorite or best vampire movies of all time. And if you want to have input on this discussion, drop us a line at theguysathermitlight.com, uh, and we'd be happy to, to read your uh, read your comments. And then I also want to ask another a favor of you listeners, and most people tune off at the end of the show. I want you. I'm charging each one of you who's listening to go to your fa- however you're listening to us and leave us a review on your uh, favorite podcasting site. It does help us quite a bit. It helps uh, show. It helps uh, showcase the show to other people who might not know where it is. Um, so leave us a review, unless you have a negative review, in which case shut your filthy mouth and we don't want to hear from you. No negative reviews, and it doesn't take long. No, you know, two couple, seconds, couple minutes. Leave a couple stars. Yeah, give us, give us some stars if you like us. Drop us. A I'm line. assuming if you didn't like us, you wouldn't. You listen. wouldn't be listening to the show, right? Yeah. So drop us a line at the hermit, uh, the guys at hermitlight.com. Leave us a review. Subscribe, and uh, overall, have a great day. Until next time, just remember, the truth exists. We believe it. Yeah.